Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Monday, August 3rd. In today's news, a coronavirus vaccine will not change the world right away. Negotiators are still far apart on a relief bill. And NASA astronauts aboard SpaceX's Crew Dragon capsule splashed down in the Gulf of Mexico. But first, the big idea. Joe Biden's timeline for picking a vice presidential nominee has slipped significantly. He initially said he would make the decision by August 1st, then said it would be the first week of August. Now the campaign is signaling that it will likely wait until the second week of August and maybe on the eve of the Democratic convention. The delay is intensifying behind-the-scenes jockeying and lobbying between allies of the women who hope to be his running mate. But many longtime Biden allies worry that this process is becoming messier than it should be by pitting women, especially black women, against one another. The dynamic threatens to undermine Biden's effort to use the search process to spotlight some of the party's brightest female stars. And it's already providing President Trump's campaign an opening to dig up dirt and launch attacks on potential rivals. The increasing nastiness is fueled by a sense, even among Biden's closest advisors, that the former vice president is entering this final phase of the search without a clear favorite. Rather than a traditional shortlist of three candidates, people close to the process expect Biden to interview five or six finalists for the position. My colleague Annie Linsky spent all weekend working the phones and talking to many of the key people who are heavily involved or closely adjacent to this process. Several people told her that Biden's delay has intensified currents, many of them sexist, that have been swirling for weeks. In recent days, a Politico report surfaced that former Senator Chris Dodd of Connecticut, who is Biden's vice presidential vetting panel chairman, told donors that Senator Kamala Harris of California, quote, had no remorse for her attacks on Biden last year on a debate stage. Another donor implied to CNBC that Harris has, quote, too much ambition. And former Pennsylvania Governor Ed Rendell, a longtime Biden friend, told CNN that Harris can, quote, rub people the wrong way. Some of the comments are being made by high-ranking Democrats pushing alternative candidates, such as Congresswoman Val Demings of Florida, and more recently, Congresswoman Karen Bass of California, making some worry that women of color are being forced to kneecap one another. Jim Clyburn, the number three Democrat in House leadership who delivered that pivotal endorsement of Biden before the South Carolina primary, complained to Annie about the burgeoning Bass versus Harris narrative and told her that it really bugs him that people want to pit these two black women against each other. But in recent days, the negative attention has focused on Bass, a relatively unknown lawmaker. The Daily Caller published a piece about a 2010 speech that Bass gave at the ribbon cutting for a new Scientology facility in Los Angeles, in which she seemed to praise the organization. And The Atlantic published a lengthy article examining Bass's past visits to Cuba. She gave warm words for former dictator Fidel Castro. This could cost Biden votes in the key state of Florida. Indeed, Marco Rubio, the Republican senator from there, held a press call organized by the Trump campaign to attack Biden for even considering her. Key Democrats speculate that allies of Bass's rivals in the Veep stakes may be pushing this as sort of opposition research. For her part, Harris allies have been aggressively lobbying the Biden team in public and private. Lawyer Ben Crump, who represents the family of George Floyd, 
penned an op-ed for CNN this weekend supporting Harris's candidacy. Behind the scenes, other allies like Glenda Baskin-Glover, the head of the AKA sorority, have been pressing members of Biden's vetting team to select her. And Harris has attempted to use those attacks on her ambition as a weapon. On Friday, she spoke to a virtual conference for young black women and said, quote, there will be a resistance to your ambition, but don't you let that burden you. This is arguably the most important political decision that Biden will ever make. The decision will automatically elevate whichever woman is selected, either making history by installing her as the first female vice president or giving her a big head start for the 2024 campaign should Biden blow this race, which remember he did during his two previous runs for president. That's a key reason the stakes are so high. The interview process for these women has been unusually public. Nearly all of the people in contention have now headlined a fundraiser with Biden and appeared during at least one virtual event with his wife, Jill, a strong signal that Biden will closely consult his wife as he makes his decision. The exchanges give every potential vice president some time to develop a rapport with Biden, but they also give them time to flatter the former vice president. On Friday night, for example, Elizabeth Warren headlined a Zoom fundraiser for Biden. At one point, Biden apologized for droning on and on and on. No, Warren replied, don't be sorry. She explained, adding, quote, I love everything you've had to say. (laughs) And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar as we start the week. Number one, public health experts are discussing among themselves a new worry that hopes for a coronavirus vaccine may be soaring too high. The confident depiction by politicians and companies that a vaccine is imminent and inevitable are giving people unrealistic beliefs about how soon the world will be able to return to normal. And there's fear that it could even spark resistance to simple strategies that can tamp down transmission and save lives in the short term. Two coronavirus vaccines have entered the final stages of human testing, a scientific speed record that prompted top government health officials to utter words like historic and astounding. Pharmaceutical executives predicted to Congress in July that vaccines might be available as soon as October or before the end of the year. But best case scenarios have failed to materialize repeatedly throughout this pandemic. And experts who, to be clear, believe wholeheartedly in the power of vaccines tell our science reporter, Carolyn Johnson, that there's going to be a very long path ahead And we all need to gird ourselves for it as much as none of us want to hear it. Deploying the vaccine to people in the United States and around the world will test and strain distribution networks, the supply chain, public trust, and global cooperation. It will take months or more likely years to reach enough people to make the world safe. For those who do get a vaccine as soon as shots become available, protection won't be immediate. It takes weeks for the immune system to call up full platoons of disease-fighting antibodies. And many vaccine technologies will require a second shot weeks after the first to raise immune defenses. Immunity could be short-lived or partial, requiring repeated boosters that strain the vaccine supply or require people to keep social distancing and wear masks even after they've received their shots. And if a vaccine works less well for some groups of people, if swaths of the population are reluctant to get a vaccine, or if there isn't enough to go around, Some people will still get sick even after scientists and politicians declare victory, which could help foster a false impression that the vaccine doesn't work. Debbie Burks, the White House Coronavirus Task Force leader, 
said on the Sunday shows that the pandemic has now entered a new phase. She said it is as bad right now in rural areas as urban ones. Alaska, Hawaii, Missouri, Montana, and Oklahoma are among the states experiencing the largest surges in new cases. About 50,000 new infections and 478 deaths were reported on Sunday. But numbers are always artificially low on Sundays because many jurisdictions don't report any data at all. Meanwhile, a new forecast published this weekend by the CDC projects that more than 173,000 Americans will have died from the coronavirus by August 22nd. Number two. Speaker Nancy Pelosi, Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin, and White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows appeared on the Sunday shows a day after a rare weekend meeting at the Capitol yielded some signs of progress toward a new relief bill. But on the shows, Meadows said there's, quote, a long ways to go and said he's not at all optimistic that there will be a solution in the very near term. The three are scheduled to meet again later today. Mnuchin defended the administration's response to the pandemic while pointing to Democrats' demand for $1 trillion in new state and local aid as a non-starter. Democrats continue to resist a short-term approach and rejected a Trump administration proposal to extend the $600 unemployment benefit for an additional one week to give more time to negotiate. They say they're not going to reach a final deal within a week. Republicans have proposed reducing the $600 weekly payment to $200 or adopting a formula that would amount to replacing about two-thirds of a worker's wages before they were unemployed. Pelosi suggested Democrats could be open to an approach that reduces the $600 over time as the unemployment rate declines, an idea that's been endorsed by a number of congressional Democrats. For many low-wage workers, the benefits that they've been getting for the last couple of months have amounted to a bump in pay from what they were making before they lost their jobs. New studies estimate that between 40 and 68% of people on unemployment insurance are making more with that extra 600 bucks than they were previously working. But some preliminary studies on the issue have not found, as conservatives argue, that the temporary bump is a disincentive for a noticeable number of workers. A recent study by three Yale economists found workers receiving the extra benefits return to work at roughly the same rate as others, finding no evidence that more generous benefits have disincentivized work so far. Number three, NASA astronauts Bob Benkin and Doug Hurley completed a fiery high-speed journey back from the International Space Station on Sunday, splashing down in calm Gulf of Mexico waters off the coast of Pensacola, Florida, hundreds of miles from a churning tropical storm and a triumphal denouement to a historic mission. Jacob Bogage and Chris Davenport note that this is the first time in the 59-year history of crewed American space travel that astronauts had used the Gulf as a landing site, adding to other firsts that marked a new chapter in NASA's human spaceflight program. This was the first launch of American astronauts to orbit from U.S. soil since the space shuttle was retired in 2011. And it was the first launch into orbit of humans on vehicles owned and operated by a private company. SpaceX's Dragon spacecraft floated down under four parachutes, and it splashed into the water at about 15 miles per hour. It's the first time NASA astronauts have landed at sea since 1975. The mission, the final milestone in a rigorous test program years in the making, was celebrated as a victory for NASA and its decision under former President Barack Obama to entrust the private sector with the lives of its astronauts. And it served as a rare bright spot in this year of turmoil. There's been so much despair and 
devastation this year. But instead of scenes of exhausted hospital workers, smoke-filled streets, and mounting death tolls from the virus, here were a pair of American astronauts smiling and giving a thumbs up as flight technicians helped them from their spacecraft in a scene reminiscent of the early days of the space program. And it came just days after another triumphant moment for NASA, the successful launch of the Mars Perseverance rover. That rover is expected to arrive on the Red Planet on February 18th. And that's The Daily 202 for Monday, August 3rd. Thanks for listening. I'm James Hellman. I'll talk to you tomorrow.